30 years ago, Joanna, Doug, and I met at the University of Virginia's Darden Business School. Now, after years of experiences, we are visiting with our classmates to ask, if you could have a beer with your younger self right after graduating with your MBA, what were the key decision points in your career path? What advice would you provide? And what are the stories behind the lessons? Carl Peoples' path to managing director in Goldman Sachs' private wealth practice includes a healthy dose of serendipity, humility, and introspection and a metric ton of grit. Join us as we speak to Carl about lifting the 100-pound phone, learning to breathe, and that he 100% belongs. Welcome, Carl Peoples. Carl Peoples, thank you for joining us. <clears throat> so the, the question is, if you could go back in time and have a beer with your former self, as you graduated business school, what would you, what advice would you, would you tell yourself? What, what uh, decision points do you think are, are key? And uh, uh, let us know what you would do next time around. Well, I prepared for this case. I don't know if you can see, I have actual notes because um, I was given the assignment uh, <laughs> ahead of time. Um, so, and, and, and Tom, that's, I, I spent more time thinking about this than I probably should have, but what I would tell my much younger, much more impressionable self over uh, a beer or several is a few things, three bullet points. First, I would say breathe. Uh, then I would say you belong. And then I would say, yes, everyone here is smart, but so are you. I would tell oh, my good. young good. self those things, um, and hopefully I would listen to them and apply them. But that's what I tell myself. You know, it's really interesting. We're that is those are three themes we have heard before. And um, what what let's go through each one of them and break them break them down a little bit. It would be really interesting for us. Sure. I mean. Uh, the breathe one, you know, I, I assume this was only my, my situation. So thanks for saying other, others have shared this, but, you know, I, you know, I was scared. I think the French say shitless when I um, got into Darden because somehow someone had, you know, extended themselves in the admissions department and uh, my paper had gotten mixed up with Doug's and they saw Doug's, you know, <laughs> test scores and my name and they just said, okay, yeah, mm -hmm. let them in. Um, and so I was, you know, I was just running in a panic for, you know, the better part of the first year, uh, afraid I'd be found out <laughs> as, as an, a glaring admissions mistake. Um, uh, but, you know, as, as I don't know if you're, uh, you know, like a um, movie buff from like the, the 50s, you know, the old gangster movies, you know, when you're on the lam, you live in a heightened state of anxiety, right? And you can only do that for so long, but you got to <laughs> leave town until the heat dies down. So finally, the heat died down at Darden, and I was less afraid of being kicked out after, I don't know, a handful of months. But um, the, the breathing became necessary because I couldn't, I couldn't hold my breath much longer. Um, and, and, you know, the you belong piece was a little harder to come by. Um, you know, 
we've talked about this over the years in different contexts um, at our at our annual gathering uh, in the mountains. And, you know, belonging is a big deal and not to get all, you know, um, too sappy, but, you know, coming from where I came from, you know, I was, you know, always one of the onlys. Right. And um, uh, you obviously know that what what that is. And it wasn't just, you know, being a black guy. It was also, you know, being a black guy of modest means, you know, no academic legacy to fall back on to know, you know, it's one thing to be smart and you know it. It's another thing to be smart and you don't know it. Right. Um, Because if you're smart and you don't know it, you don't have the confidence. So you don't extend yourself and you don't put yourself in opportunities to be smart. You just are smart by yourself (laughs) in your corner alone. (laughs) But, But one, I think, you know, one of the brilliant things that Darden did and I think still does is the, you know, the study groups, um, you know, before, before it got, you know, hectic and, and uh, Joanna had to run screaming into the hallway. um, You know, it it was, it was a place where I could, I could be insecure on a smaller stage. And then every now and then, you know, blurt out a string of words that seemed like a cogent answer on some element of some case. And then over time, the more I did that, more I realized, you know, that, um, you know, my study group mates as a, as a, a small sample size or a microcosm of the broader section, and then hopefully the, the entire year was, was in fact representative. And so if I could sort of blurt out something that seemed <laughs> intelligible and I'd have somebody like Frank Sands write it down, right. Or, you know, Rick Barry until, you know, until he uh, went global and did other things in second year. But, um, you know, I, you know, I was like, wow, I can match wits and I can contribute something. So that was my best, my first real um, feel first real sense of really feeling like I belonged at Darden is in that study group over time. Um, and then the whole thing about everyone else being smart, I remember, um, and I don't know if I'm allowed to name names, but I'm going to name names, but I remember I was, uh, in study group and we we're supposed to be focusing on some case. I don't know. It was probably operations, something. And Emily was, um, reminiscing about, uh, being, you know, like in some advanced AP class and, and um, how she took some tests some placement test or whatever. And she was saying how, um, uh, how interesting it was or remarking how being sort of, you know, a small percent of the student body was sometimes unique and fun and whatever. And I'm like, you know, I was always gin pop, right? So, you know, I, I, and this is a true story. I didn't realize that I wasn't aiming high enough until ninth grade junior high school or eighth grade junior high school. We we would take these tests and for your, what you want to do in your career. And I always, you know, I just, I love working with my hands. I took every shop class I could. I wanted to be a carpenter. I wanted to build stuff. I wanted to build houses. And I go and I took this test and I guess I did really well on it. And the counselor discouraged me from, you know, she was like, oh no, you don't want to be a carpenter. You want to go to college. And I was, I was sad. I was just, I was pissed off. I was like, what do you mean? I, this is my dream. You're taking my dream. I'm a child. You're taking my dreams away from me. Um, but it was the first inkling I had of, you know, well, maybe, you know, maybe there's something else you can consider and it's called college. Um, so that was, I guess, the opening of a door and, and, uh, and then uh, in high school, just to book in that. Um, 
you know, the last thing they do is, you know, you, you go before you graduate, you have to go see your counselor. So I guess they can, you know, check you out <laughs> into, into the world and say, okay, yeah, uh, he's got a plan. And so, uh, we, in homeroom, we were lined up alphabetically. And, um, one of my friends, bright young girl, blonde hair, blue eyed, was, uh, she went in before me. And then she came back and said, okay, you, you, you know, they're ready to see you. I was like, what do they want to talk about? She said, oh, they just want to ask you where you, what your plan is, where you're going to college and what you're going to do after high school. And, you know, I was kind of a big deal in high school, as, as some of you may know. I mean, I was captain of the football team. I was voted most popular I was, and uh, most friendliest. Yes, that's how they wrote it in the yearbook. Um, and so, you know, everybody knew and liked me. But that's kind of all they knew about me. So I, I was like, well, where do you want to go to college? And she said, um, well, um, I've applied to William & Mary and so somewhere and so else. And, uh, and that's all I remembered. So I go to the, the place. It's like, great. I know what to say. Go to talk to the counselor. <laughs> and we get to the, so what are you going to do after college or after high school? I said, um, oh, I'm going to apply to William & Mary. And the counselor looked at me. He was like, oh, no. You should apply to <laughs> Old Dominion or Norfolk State. Oh, God. And I was like, well, I, I had already been accepted to Old Dominion, and I never even applied. And Norfolk State was calling my phone for like a year. It's like I knew enough to know if they want me this bad, then I don't want to go there because I need, I need to go somewhere <laughs> where, I can't, where I'm not wanted. And so I said, no, I'm absolutely going to apply to William Mary. So – Anyway, belonging was, is important. I've always wanted it and um, always uh, treasured it. So that was my answer. You know, uh, Carl, in, you know, we've had, I don't know, a half dozen uh, interviews so far with, you know, with our classmates. And, and it, it does seem like a recurring theme. Now, granted, we haven't interviewed our entire class at this point, but, you know, all of us, you know, seem to have that feeling of, uh, oh, my gosh, you know, how did how did I get in? You know, when you looked around our class, everybody just seemed, like you said, so smart. And 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 I was like you, it probably was well into that second year before I did breathe where I'm like, OK, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to get through this, even if I wasn't, you know, even if I was an admission mistake, I think I'm going to I think I'm going to get out alive. And yeah. uh, so anyway, I can I, I think a lot of us can can certainly relate to that. And um and uh, obviously, you know, being being a black man, you had you had obviously other, um, you know, challenges that that I didn't have to face. But um, but I think we all kind of felt insecure in a lot of ways, you know, but that's great yeah. advice. That's really good advice. Uh, so, you know, being feeling like an imposter is sometimes very challenging yeah. and it's great to hear your story your path uh, even prior to Darden and being that you are naturally, it sounds like inclined to wanting to be belonged and people want to be with you. Cause I can say that you're easy to hang out with. You're a good person. And, um, and then you walked into the other den of lions <laughs> and thieves. I'm sorry. Did I say thieves? You um, did. I did. Um, so, um, banking industry. Wow. I mean, that's, 
you went from feeling really comfy in our awesome study group and your group friends. And um, I'll tell you, Coopers and Librand, when I joined the their little financial advisory group, mm-hmm. boy, did they make me feel small. So <laughs> I'm just saying, I'd love to hear that journey for you. And you've had an incredible career path there. Um, oh. And again, sure, I'm wondering, believing, believing, and belonging, um, and I just love to hear your perspective on it. Well, the other, uh, so to, this might tie these, you know, seemingly disparate uh, desires together. The other thing that um, I have this sort of sick penchant for is uh, sticking my hand into the wood chipper repeatedly. So (laughs) if anything's easy, I, you know, why would I do something easy? You know, this looks impossible. Let's try that. Right. So um, I, um, I just always, you know, embrace, you know, really hard things and, you know, every now and then I achieve something. So uh, at one point, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to fly jets for the Marine Corps and land them on aircraft carriers that bounce up and down. Um, that was like my big passion. I was in ROTC. I wanted to commission and fly jets because I grew up in Virginia Beach, Virginia. So Tom knows, you know, it's one of the biggest naval air stations uh, in the country. So um, fortunately uh, or unfortunately, I had a uh, scar tissue on my retina. I couldn't pass my uh, officer's physical. And so that was the end of my military career. So, um, I also stumbled into uh, main stage plays at William & Mary because William & Mary was casting uh, an adaptation of Uncle Tom's Cabin. So if you can imagine the diversity uh, numbers at William & Mary, there weren't a lot of, you know, black male actors at William & Mary just, you know, begging for the part. So they cast a very wide uh, call and... um, and I was asked by a friend over and over and over to audition. Long story short, I ended up getting the lead, ended up loving acting. And so then I was like, okay, well, I can't fly jets for the Marines. So maybe I'll try to be an actor with my econ degree. And I chickened out. So one, I got kicked out because of my uh, scar tissue on my retina. The other one, I chickened out. So to your question, Joanna, I decided to go into banking because my roommate, my senior year roommate, and I were sitting around and uh, great guy, uh, white guy, that's shocking, but great guy. Um, Not because he was great, but there's a lot of white guys at William & Mary. Anyway, um, we were talking about what do we do after we graduate? And he said, well, I don't know what I wanna do. And he had all these ideas and he was, he said, I could be a banker like my dad. He's been a banker and I get a career and you know, and, and you sit around, do that, do banking. You make $60,000 a year, but that's boring and I don't want to do that. So I'm like, Tom knows I love poker. So I'm like, okay, stay cool. Stay cool. Don't react. That's <laughs> like inside I'm jumping up, but you can make $60,000 a year being a banker. <laughs> I'm going to do that. That's exactly my whole career path was decided in that moment. So a lot of thoughtful planning went into how I chose finance is, is the answer to the question. Um, but I applied to and got a job at um, a bank in Virginia, and that kind of set me on the trajectory to be in finance. Um, now, to your point about joining the, the den of thieves and the sharp elbows and the sharks and such, I actually... <laughs> 
again, still had a, a good yellow streak running down my back. So I chickened out again, uh, Joanna, and I decided to go into retail branch manage- management because I thought that'd be less cutthroat than going into commercial uh, management, which I did. That was then, after business school? No, that's after undergrad. Okay, and uh, and then so I, I, I ended up doing retail branch management and then quickly realized I'd made a horrible mistake. These people are just, you know, punching the clock. There's nothing going on here. And so that's what prompted me to apply to Darden and uh, go back to business school. So, And then after B school, you went to Wachovia, right? Yeah, I went to Wachovia Corporate and Investment Banking, which again, at this point I knew, okay, I'm going to try to be um, what Wachovia calls an investment banker, which is, you know, um, not what Goldman Sachs calls an investment banker, but we get to write it on our business cards too. So I could impress some people with it anyway. So I did that. And um, I mean, it was really more capital markets than anything else. Um, not to be so dismissive of it. It was like a real job, but it wasn't investment banking as we, as, as the, we know it. But um, what I, what was, uh, what was funny is that, you know, I, when I was going through college and this is a true story, you might not believe me, but if you would have asked me or bet me a hundred dollars, if I could tell you where wall street was, um, there's a, I didn't know. I didn't know it was in New York. I certainly didn't know it was in Manhattan. I certainly didn't know it was a real street. I didn't know what went on there other than, you know, I knew bank investment banking happened on wall street, but I mean, I would have been hard pressed to tell you what state it was in. So I knew nothing. Um, and, and fortunately, Wachovia hired me anyway. <laughs> was, uh, was, was Wachovia's investment banking branch, was that in Winston-Salem or was it in Atlanta? Uh, yes. And I mean, and, you know, I, it was kind of both because, Doug, really what we called investment banking was capital markets. It was syndicated loans. We would do some um, – we would do some bond underwriting, uh, but it would be uh, industrial revenue bonds. So it was really just a different flavor of lending our money to Fortune 500 companies or mm-hmm. Fortune 1000 companies that were really, really strong balance sheets. But mm-hmm. I mean, we weren't really taking anybody public. We weren't doing any M&A. We weren't doing any of the you know, that wild, sexy stuff Joanna was doing um, when she was in capital markets. <laughs> so after you did that, Carl, did did you go into private wealth management directly out of there, and and uh, what was that transition like? So good question, and I think if if you've been following along at home, uh, you'll get this theme that I don't do anything directly from one spot to the next. I sort of wander and stumble, and then decide make a decision or have a decision forced upon me. Um, such was the case for me transitioning from uh, Wachovia corporate banking uh, to private wealth. So after flying around 10 plus years or so trying to sell my money to, you know, literally one of my clients was Exxon and, you know, trying to show up to the assistant to the third janitor on the fourth floor to talk about their capital facilities so that we could maybe get a piece of it. Um, I wasn't really having the impact I wanted. Uh, so I stopped doing that and took a job in regional Atlanta, uh, calling on middle market companies with the theme being, we were going to professionalize the lending structures that we offered to more moderate sized companies. So I was like, Oh, I know how to do the big stuff. I'll do the big ideas on smaller stuff. 
And that was fine for a while until the bank that I was at got acquired and then things, people got moved around. Uh, and then I ended up at Wachovia First Union right around the merger time. And I was still sort of bumbling around in this commercial department, um, commercial lending department uh, that was in flux. And I got asked uh, to consider private wealth management. I was like, no, nah, I'm, a, I'm a finance guy. I don't want to do that, you know, squishy you know, private wealth management stuff. I'm a hardcore finance guy. Um, and so I said that a few more times and then it occurred to me, it's probably not a good posture to keep saying no to your bosses about a career change. <laughs> so when I, <laughs> when I had that epiphany, I realized they might stop asking. And so I said yes and went over to private wealth management and then I absolutely loved it because at you Wa go- At Wachovia. At Wachovia First Union, yeah. Right, um, and um, you end up working, you know, on just as complex a problem set, uh, but you're doing it with people uh, for whom it is their money. It's their their problems. It's not, you know, the company's problems or the board's problems. Like, you know, if you invest them in something and it goes to zero, then it's both of our problems, actually. But um, it's just really impactful and interesting and meaningful. Um, just to put a ribbon on that, what was, uh, you know, less exciting was um, after about a year of doing that, I realized that, you know, we were, we were playing in Major League Baseball, but we, you know, you know had aluminum bats or whatever. We didn't have the right equipment. We just were, we were not, we, we couldn't hit a curveball. We couldn't hit a, you know, change up, whatever. We weren't ready for this big, big show. And so I had all these ideas because, you know, at this point I have my, my Darden degree that I like to, amortize whenever I can. And so I was sharing all my great thoughts and ideas um, with my boss. And then at my year in review, uh, after I got on a couple of years of sharing all my great ideas, she told me that I was on probation to be fired. That was not fun. <laughs> she was not as enthusiastic about my ideas. So basically I had 90 days to, um, you know, pack up my my box of, of, of things and get the hell out of there. And fortunately, I had a buddy who was here at the Goldman Sachs office in Atlanta in private wealth. The office was growing. He put me in touch. Um, again, the second hire, second biggest hiring or admissions mistakes ever <laughs> that benefited my career. They said, yes, they needed warm bodies. And 17 years later, I'm still here. Do you... Did you have, you know, you talked about breathe and you belong. Did you have that same sort of experience, you know, at Goldman and at Wachovia? Oh, God, no. Well, Goldman, yeah, they don't, at the time, it was like, there was no breathing. There was no belonging. There was like, I, I, this is a true story. So I, I, I lined up my then wife and two kids. Uh, one would come along later and said, hey, I got good news and bad news. The good news is I got hired by this amazing firm, Goldman Sachs, biggest, baddest, best on Wall Street. The bad news is you won't see very much of me for the next two years, because if I'm going to succeed, I've got to bust my ass, you know, work, you know, until I, you know, I, I just fall over asleep every day and then hope that after two years, I have something to look back on and then build a career. And that's frankly what I did. So there was no looking for belonging. Um, I actually, none of this should be given to people as advice, right? So I hope the whole point of this is not that these are, you know, ways you should, you know, build your career. But I, I remember when I was um, 
uh, running like, uh, uh, you know, a, a crazy a chicken with his head cut off trying to find clients and open accounts. I remember saying to my boss um, in a fit of exasperation because I wasn't given a shot at a referral that other guys who I thought were much less worthy were given a shot at. I told them, I said, look, you know, well, uh, <laughs> I wish you would just tell me you, either you don't trust me or uh, you don't think I'm very good at the job. At least that way, I know where, I'd stand, where I stand. And I said, and he didn't punch me, but he said, uh, <laughs> he did look very upset. And then I said, my goal is to just stack out, continue to stack million dollar bills on your desk until you notice me. Um, mm. None of that is good advice. <laughs> we're good, friend, <laughs> we're good, friend, good friends now. Um, and uh, we can look back at that and laugh, but it was uh, tense times. Not a, not a good approach. Carl, um, when, when, when you, you know, joined Goldman um, and private wealth services, do you, do you literally start from zero with a, with an asset base of zero? And it's just like, okay, go build uh, a client base. Is that the way it works? Yes. Yes, it is. I mean, you, you literally, when day one, you sit down and look at your screen and you do an account review, it, it's you looking back at yourself if there's a reflection because you don't have it. <laughs> there's there's just no names beside your name. At least that was my case. Now, there are other situations. If you joined an existing team, they might carve out some clients for you to you know mess around with. Um, and and I, I say that very starkly that that's the olden days, you know, back, you know, before we became holistic advisors, trusted advisors. Um, uh, but back then, yeah, you were, you were, um, you're eating what you killed and you know, it was a little, a, quite a bit more rugged. I, t I tell the youngsters these stories and just to watch their, you know, their eyes and get big as saucers, but. <laughs> so you start with zero. How much how much runway does does someone like Goldman give you before you're you're shown the door? Very good question. Um, again, back in the olden days, that was about two years, right? So okay. um, if 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 you didn't if you didn't have enough, and, and I hope the microphones in here aren't on, but it's all true. It's like, if if you didn't have enough commission revenue to cover your draw, right, uh, in about two years, or at least real good visibility um, that you would get there, um, you would be, you know, unceremoniously asked to vacate the premises. <laughs> right, right, right. And if if you really manage to screw up royally faster than that, and then, you know, you get the opportunity to leave sooner than that. Now, again, since we're, you know, we're kinder and gentler now, um, as, you know, in, in finance and every other job, and, you know, the millennials that keep getting trophies for not doing anything, um, you can't do that to people, right? So now the runway is much longer and it's a much more formalized training program, much more support, um, you know, a lot more care and feeding than back when I came up. And you got, yeah. And so, you're still and you're still meeting the bottom line. So like I and and Goldman is still making a ton of money using a kinder, more nurturing kinder, <laughs> I'm using quotation marks, quite kinder, more nurturing process. This is it's true. Fascinating. It um, is fascinating. I wonder in your journey and that two years or that frame that lay like real, this sounds like a major juncture in your career, in your life, for your family. You know, how much did you lean in on your Darden network? 
Oh, how, how did how did your your posse or your group of compadres kind of help you through that? How did you lean in on on Darden well, or even on your network? Period. I'm just using uh, Darden because that's how we're connected. No, no, Darden, you're using the right network because I leaned hard and often and heavy on my Darden network, um, and I I tell people, uh, you know, newer people or internally that you know, because everybody has a different way to build a plan. I was very, you know, organic in my process, not at all, you know, um, you know, like logical, like if Tom were doing it, he'd have spreadsheets and he'd have, you know, like things blinking and stuff. And it'd be really cool to look at, you know, mine was like literally a legal pad, yelling like ink and paper and writing down names. I literally wrote down his names and would like, anyway, very, I call that organic. Um, but, uh, I leaned hard on my network. Uh, and uh, all, many people that you would know um, were very helpful, are very helpful, uh, some of whom are clients, um, but all of whom have been wonderfully gracious and supportive. And I, and I tell um, newer folks that I can, you know, I can point to 40% of the business that I've been able to do as a direct result or a, you know, a one step removed from a direct result of a Darden connection. Mm -hmm. And that, that continues to be um, a great source of support and business opportunity and, you know, referrals and, you know, just insight. Um, and, and I, and I, we, <laughs> we have taken to call on ourselves, you know, the best Darden class in history. And, you know, the more I engage my Darden colleagues in different ways, the more I believe it. And, and, the more evidence I think we stack up to support that. And, and, and it certainly has been my experience, Joanna, that um, my, my buddies and, and classmates from Darden have been invaluable, quite frankly. Well, what would you, I mean, it's a challenge. For some people, it's a challenge. The experience was um, challenging and traumatic for some people. Mm -hmm. um, it's a tough network to uh, build and maintain. What would you tell someone who's, let's say, I don't want to say, is having trouble reconnecting and or connecting? What what would you tell them about? Yeah, and I, and I, I, I hate that for folks who didn't have, and, and folks in our class who didn't have the same, don't have the same experience. But uh, I, for me, you know, no lie, um, you know, shout out to Damon DeVito and uh, Birdwood Golf Club course. Um, I had just started taking up golf before the summer before I was, uh, or the spring before getting into Darden, because in my job, my previous job, um, I had a client who would invite me to a golf event every year. And he was one of my bigger clients in the branch, one of my few commercial clients. And I would make up a story about why I was busy or I broke my ankle or, you know, my, you know, my pet, my pet cat died and I couldn't attend. I didn't know how to play golf. Right. So, um, Today, you know, I would describe my job and it's, it's sort of like this, but not exactly like this, but my job is to convince 60 year old white men to entrust me with their life's fortune. Right. So I say that to like these, you know, um, um, black or brown candidates who go through the process and then invariably they'll sort of shuffle over to me as like, so what's it like doing the job? I know exactly what they're asking me. So I, I hit them <laughs> with the, I hit them with that. And then they just, you know, like quiver. Um, and then I say, but you can do it. Right. And so getting back to Damon DeVito and Birdwood golf course, you know, I thought that if I could play golf 
and and I still can't really play, but I love it. Um, it's a it's a way to bridge some commonality with almost anybody, right? So, you know, sixty year old white men really love golf, right? Mm-hmm. And so, since we're generalizing, right? Um, and so that became a way for me to try to say, look, you know. I want to engage with you on something other than, you know, you're a white man, I'm a black man, you're a white woman, I'm a black man, blah, blah, blah. Because it's too, it's too stark to, you know, necessarily say, gosh, you know, that guy looks like he could manage my family's wealth. Mm-hmm. So I, and the, the extension for Darden and the experience is what my friends and network and clients who are, you know, from Darden have been able to do for me is they've been that golf club. Right, they've been in that golf experience. So if if I'm introduced to uh, a friend who's a Darden guy who's client, if I'm introduced to his network, I can't. They can't say, you know, if if Doug's my Darden buddy and Tom's Doug's buddy, uh, and Doug says, hey, you should meet my guy at Goldman, and I show up, Tom can't go, oh my God, you're a black, <laughs> right? <laughs> because he knows that Doug already, you know, valid, and Doug's family already signed up, and you know, what I'm saying so. Isn't it, it interesting? Yeah. Yeah. It took me a long time as I'm, I'm being a hundred percent honest. It took me a long time to realize how valuable that was Absolutely. in opening doors, lowering the temperature and getting folks that didn't look like me to imagine doing business with me. And it was because of my Darden community that said, Carl's a great guy. And we never had to talk about, you know, <laughs> the fact that I'm black ever again. <laughs> But once I got that validation from my, my Darton classmates. Great. You know, it's, uh, it's, it, I, I'm just so, uh, I have so much, uh, respect for what you have done. I mean, Goldman, as you, as you know, we alluded to earlier, it's, it's at the top, you know, of, of, you know, the best finance, you know, firms in the world, if, you know, arguably the top and for you to succeed there it just means it, it truly is the the top of the mountain and um it's just it's really cool to see you know to to see how well you've done there i'm really happy for you well thanks man well i mean that's that means a lot coming from you know professor of sales i mean you <laughs> you know uh what the whole process can be you know it's never a straight line and you know um it's uh, you almost don't know what will you know how you'll resonate with people, but when you can find that commonality and then just deliver and just do the job, it's um, it's it's almost even fun. So thank well, you again, you, Darden. Yeah, well, you've you know obviously at this point in your life you can at this point in your career, Goldman, you can breathe. You come in, <laughs> yes. you're you're not you're not coming in each morning, you know, with that with that uh, with that fear factor. You certainly had those those first couple of years, but um, I'm curious. Um, talk us through the uh, the first client you got, the first client you landed when you when you know when you were in, in that probationary period. How'd that come about? <laughs> well, uh, since we're all friends here, um, I, I can say this, and I don't think I'll get any retribution because it's it's a Darden story, right? So, okay. Um, uh, and I think I think he will appreciate it. God rest his soul. My first client was Frank Sands Sr. Um, oh wow, that's cool. Oddly enough, not Frank Sands Jr. Right. So that was some straight bullshit that I've called him on over the years, but I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, 
but but what was great about there are a lot of things great about that because you know i've known frank senior as long as i've known frank jr right makes sense um and really uh, how how is that how is that yeah how did you know frank senior as long because was uh wasn't frank in your in your study group Yes. And, and so I'm just saying, you know, the same year, you know, I got to Darden and there was some event where um, Frank Sr. showed up on campus, Frank and Marjorie, uh, uh, Frank's mom and dad, and I met him, right? And got Frank it, said, got I think I think we all went out to dinner. It's like, oh, Carl's in my study group. Let's go to dinner. Um, but uh, he he um, he was great. So I'd been calling on him. I, I had my list, Doug, you know, everybody I knew that I thought you know, had money or knew some people that had money. And I was just going through names. And, and the good news is I had some names to call. And so I'd mm-hmm. call on, call on uh, Frank and Frank. And, um, and it got to a point where, you know, Frank, you know, needed to, you know, buy some bonds. And he said, Okay, how do we open an account? And, and I was not ready for that. And he opened an account and it was super easy. And, um, you know, we bought him some bonds and he was happy. And I remember going back uh, and I, I called on them for, I think, a year, you know, 12, 18 months, like, right. So the clock is ticking. So I don't have a lot. of So at like 12, 14 months, somewhere in there after a year, I'm opening my first account. And um so excited, so thankful, so appreciative, you know, Pete on his carpets. Every time I'd show up, I was just, you know, <laughs> wagging my tail so happy. And uh, I remember going to draw, try to do my first portfolio review. And you know, we had a sizable account, but it was all bonds, investment grade bonds. As I, and so I'm walking through and doing my stuff. And and he kind of looked up at me about half, five minutes into the, my presentation quizzically and says, Carl, I hired you because I trust you. And just paused and that's all he said <laughs> and i was like thank you so much closed the book um kind of got up got myself he together believed when in I, you. he believed yeah, yeah, in you absolutely i was like you know i'm about to tell you all my stuff i know about municipal bonds that you know is will bore you to tears but the point was joanna you're right i mean he's like he's like this is how this is how we do business we do business with the people we trust and blah blah, blah. and so God rest us all. Great man. Um, but, you know, Darden again, he knew, you know, uh, Darden guy, right? You know, Frank's buddy, um, you know, persistent and calling and, you know, not selling snake oil every time I showed up. Um, and that sort of became my, my you know, part of my deal is like, I'm not going to try to, you know, sell you to get you in because if I sell, to get you, sell you to get you in, I got to sell you to get you to stay. And that's too much energy. <laughs> I don't want to expend that much energy, um, and and just try to build those those virtuous uh, relationships. That you know, if I serve them well, um, they'll say nice things and maybe mention me around the kitchen table once or twice. Well, Frank Jr. is not sixty yet, so you still got a few years <laughs> yet. To... <laughs> you got a few fingers years crossed. Left. <laughs> fingers crossed. <laughs> so- Carl, I am curious. I, I, you know, we're LinkedIn and I see Facebook, I Facebook, but not very often, but I know that you golf. I do. We know that you golf. We know that you ski or snowboard. snowboard. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Very different. Um, very yeah. different. Yeah. 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 So you have dragger. Some, I, yes. I'm married to um, one. I get it. I ski. It's, it's, it's a, a mixed marriage is what you're saying. Skills. 
Oh, it definitely is. <laughs> um, and uh, but you said, you know, you had this desire to be a carpenter. Like, mm-hmm. do you find like, do you pursue what else are you pursuing besides that? Like, and of course, I'm always into per- being a person of service. What what are some of your philanthropic interests? I'm really curious about that, too. Like, are you sure. building stuff? Are you giving back? Um, not building anything. Uh, and that's probably good for everybody. It's certainly good for my marriage, right? For me, me swinging a hammer is nobody wins in that exchange. <laughs> um, but I, I am very philanthropically minded as is Stephanie. So I sit on three boards now and I was actually just having this conversation earlier with someone, all of my, my philanthropic work, Joanna is around, um, helping disadvantaged black and brown kids get to and through college um, or and or work for ready, work, workforce readiness. So get, you know, to and through high school and into, you know, some sort of you know, trade or, you know, productive career where they can uh, build a life for themselves and their families. Uh, and it's, it's incredibly reward, rewarding for reasons that are probably, probably pretty, pretty obvious. One, you know, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm cracking myself up. As Kamala Harris <laughs> said, that little girl was me, right? Yeah. So um, <laughs> that was for you, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, so it means a lot to me, you know, being one of four kids, single mom raised us, you know, high school education, just wanted us to, you know, her mantra was, you know, get a good education, stay out of trouble, get a good job. Right. So if you did those three, I try to do those three things with, you know, spotty success. Um, but that's, that was all we knew and that's what we clung to. And, um, uh, so if I can be in, you know, these kids that, looked like me uh, or their backgrounds or some point of you know, just disadvantage or struggle. Uh, and it doesn't have to be black and brown kids. It's just that, you know, I am a black, was a black kid. Um, uh, still am actually, uh, it, you know, where I can help be that point of, you know, if I can see it, I can be it and, you know, maybe throw some dollars and, you know, our philanthropic work. That's just, that's just kind of my, that's my tickle spot. Yay. Sounds good. I'm, I'm glad you're not um, causing angst in your family with a hammer, though. (laughs) But thanks for giving back, because I can totally relate. Obviously, my dad's only thing was, you know, a government job is a good thing. Mm -hmm. I just remember him saying, because it's steady and it's good. And um, and God rest his soul. My mom goes under her breath. You can do better than that. So uh, thank you very much for giving back that way. That's awesome. Yeah, happy to do it. Honored to do it. So what uh, what's the future look like for Carl Peoples? How long are you gonna uh, how long are you gonna keep at it? You got a <laughs> you, 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 you got uh, you got a vision for what the next 10, 20 years look like for you? Hey Doug, you know, don't tell the powers that be around here, but if I can keep doing this and, you know, stay, keep my head above water and, you know, bring in an encounter to every, every, uh, every, you know, six or eight months or 10 or 12 months, um, man, I'm, I'm going to stay here and keep stealing money. Um, 
And and I, I I say that because quite frankly I you know alluded to the fact that so many of my um, Darden uh, folks have been so helpful and engaged uh, as clients and prospects and intermediaries. It's it's fun. And you, you said earlier I, I do breathe a lot more now, um, which makes it fun. And I also now to Joanna's point earlier I've. And Tom knows this, but I've been asked to take on more of a national role um, around some of all the stuff that we're talking about, mm. which um, kind of helps, you know, a lot of um, stars align around what we call an inclusive wealth initiative. So trying to reach communities that um, of entrepreneurs and established wealth that didn't know that Goldman was interested in them. Um because they're not 60-year-old white men. Uh, and so I'm, I'm having an opportunity to, to do that. So that gives me an opportunity to see across the firm in a way that I didn't before, have a responsibility, um, you know, uh, not only to this community we're trying to address, but also to, you know, other folks in the firm, black, brown, white, male, female, and everything in between, uh, because it's important that we do this. It's important that we fix our reputation uh, and, and really address communities that, that, um, that want to do business with us and can do business with us. And, and you'll, you'll get a kick out of this, but um, this February, I uh, hope you're sitting down, I was actually on a Black History Month panel at Goldman. Wow. Which, yeah. Congrats. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Well, well, my grandma would say, you know, something like that. She would say, um, well, I don't know if you're bragging or complaining. Right. And, so, you know, <laughs> and I'm kind of doing both. It's like I, don't, I haven't done anything historical. And um, but it's kind of neat that, you know, if I if I hadn't been here 17 years for, you know, uh, folks that started two years ago, could they, they would who would they look to and say, well, if this clown can do it for 17 years, it gives me hope. So that's that's what I do now. Well, you know, uh, well, first of all, congrats on the national role. Yes. I think that's, here, here. that's that's a huge <laughs> honor. And, uh, you know, and secondly, with regard to, you know, working, I can tell you're having fun. Um, yeah, I mean, you've mentioned that, you know, coming into work's fun. And, uh, and you know, I think in, in many professions, but certainly, you know, in yours, when you've been at it as long as you have with the same firm, um, you know, your client base becomes like a huge flywheel. Mm -hmm. And you just, you know, the bigger your client base gets, the more people you meet and the more people you get to serve. And it, in, in some ways it's, it's, it's just like the snowball, you know, coming downhill, it just gets to a point where you're, you're having to put in less energy for every ounce of output, you know, exactly. And, um, yeah. and uh, that's a good place to be. No, that's a, that's a, that's the perfect way to describe it. And you obviously understand um, the business from that perspective, you know, you know, being on the other side of that is unpleasant. <laughs> and it's, it's, it, 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 there is so much, um, uh, so much, um, you know, so many people try to do it, never get, um, never get over the hump. Um, and, and it can be soul crushing at times until you do build that flywheel or that center of gravity in the business. But once you've done it, it's, um, it's, it, you know, it's hard to get off the teat, you know, uh, because it's, you know, it's like work, but it's not really work and you are serving and um, you do, you know, you get the, you know, uh, someone used to say, well, you, you pet the dogs that are wagging their tail, not the ones that are growling. So <laughs> if I'm engaging with a prospect opportunity and it's like, 
this is like work. You know what? <laughs> We're not a good fit. Thanks. I'm good. Well, um, you know, you go find someone that will be a good fit and then I'll just, you know, go back to what it was I was doing. So you get to be able to be even more selective. And quite frankly, you know, if it's not a good fit, then they should be selective and select someone else too. Yeah. I, That's yeah, cool. Um, Carl, I, I'd like to, if it's okay, take, take you back, take us back a little bit in the conversation to those first couple of years at Goldman, when you're trying to build that book, um, you know, Burke and Burke covered this a little bit in his interview. And, and I certainly remember, uh, uh, being in the fog in San Francisco, forcing myself to dial my friends and, and ask them to, to take a chance on what I was doing in my, in our startup. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that that is a soul crushing, super. I mean, you think the first year of Darden is hard picking up the phone when it's, you know, only you to, to make those calls. What you know, how did you get through that part? You know, any any idea, any any thoughts for because, you know, entrepreneurship that you know, is such a big thing these days. But, you know, if you're the if you're everything, if it's you and your partner in a two man, two person startup. You know, somebody's got to be this doing the doing the calls, and chances yeah. are it's going to be the business nerd, not the nerd. So <laughs> not the full time <laughs> nerd. <laughs> yeah, it's you're right. I mean, that's that's the uh, you know picking up that hundred pound phone over and over again and trying to bang some business out of it is um, is uh, it's daunting. And you know, I <laughs> I. I I talked about, well, you know, this being an entrepreneur is like, sometimes you just don't want to do it. I mean, like most, a lot of times you don't want to do it. And, you know, the, the one, I have a very few commandments, but one of my commandments is thou shalt not jive thyself. Right. So don't talk yourself into activity if it's not producing the outcome that you want. Right. But because, mm -hmm we are smart humans. We want to, you know, it hurts when I do that. So you stop doing that. But if you need to do that, you need to pick up that phone and make that call, but it hurts. You find ways to like your pencils stay sharpened, your paper clips are pointing all in the same direction. You start to do all this other stuff that you're telling yourself how busy you are and, and you, you end up getting further and further away from your goal. So I, I knew enough from the pain of Darden and trying to not to get on the, um, the action plan list that that case wasn't going anywhere, right? That cold call could happen that next morning. So whatever it was you were doing to fake yourself out of it, you're getting closer to an answer, stop doing that. And then just keep, you know, keep picking up that hundred pound phone. And then after a while, I did get a little smarter and try to, you know, uh, as I was sharing with John, as like you get to a point where, you know, it's better if I work through people and, you know, somebody that knows me and says, okay, you know, this guy isn't a complete idiot. He's not a total pain in the ass. I'll take his call or I'll take his free lunch and just try to, I tried to, instead of being so wide and trying to call everybody and maybe accidentally turn up, you know, a millionaire or multimillionaire that I would just say, look, I'm going to go deep in relationships that I thought were really, um, you know, powerful and connected and important. And I was going to try to find a way to serve them like, a, like they were clients. And so they could basically, you know, see me working without see, seeing me asking them. So um, if I could find a way, I'll just use Frank as an example, but not, 
I don't know that I did all this with Frank because he told me to stop selling so much. <laughs> he won the business, <laughs> calm down. Um, but he, uh, you know, Frank Sr., okay, I know what industry is in. Uh, I know, you know, there might be, we might be writing research. We might be, uh, we might have an, a similar client or a similar, you know, uh, money manager that's doing X, Y, and Z. So whatever I could do to try to serve around the edges and ingratiate myself to people, I found yielded, um, yielded uh, results later on. Uh, but then in the, in the in-between time, like I would do all that, painfully low yielding stuff like you know i would do you know we would send fedex proposals to you know uh, expensive houses and different zip codes you know so like congratulations carl p from goldman sachs i think you're rich here look at this and open an account which never worked right but it was something i could do in between having productive you know sit down with this person and figure out how you can serve them and then invariably um, if I if I set up a meeting with Doug and he's a software entrepreneur and Google is sniffing around his technology and I you know line all that up and I go so start serving him and seeing if there's an opportunity to serve him you never say can I manage your money but how can I be helpful to you open doors at Goldman for you and he's smart he knows what I'm there for he knows what my business card said if if it gives him the opportunity to either keep taking my free stuff or you know reward me with an opportunity to manage uh, his assets and i just that just worked for me it worked enough times that people said you know okay i'll you know thanks thanks for the soft sale um thanks for not trying to club me overhead with with your business card you know every 5 minutes and that's that continues to be my approach is that uh, is that what Goldman is doing these days with, you know, if you get hired into private wealth management, you know, how do you get folks started these days at Goldman? Well, it, it, I, it, I think this is my, my, my version. I think, I think we have a, a candy coating over what the job is a little bit that I'm not a hundred percent okay with because at the end of the day, it's what I've been saying it is. Um, and you, 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 you know, run the risk of violating my, my one commandment if you get too bought into doing all this other stuff. It's like, if, 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 I, if I get that meeting with you, Tom, it's because, it, you know, not because of our, our history, it's because I know you're wealthy. I know you're, you know, I'm circling the target. I'm not going to keep spending time with you if I don't think it's, you know, there's an opportunity. But once I do and we engage, then, you know, we're going to, that's why I'm spending time with you. Um, not because you just like my free lunch, right? So I have a mission and I know I'm on, on the target. And then we just got to get to a point where you feel comfortable uh, engaging and doing business. And um, at some point I pull the ripcord if that's one year, two years, and then I move on if, if we haven't crossed that threshold. But what I think is very different is if I don't have the cell discipline, if I don't say, yeah, Tom and I are going to be friends regardless. Doug and I, Joanna, we're going to be friends regardless if we do business or not. But I'm not going to keep hanging around the hoop to do business if we're not going to do business. I'll be, else we'll still be friends. And all my friends who are clients, they, you know, they always have the put option with me because business is business and friendship is friendship. But I think where people get, um, and this goes back to my candy coated statement, they say, well, I just had another meeting with Tom. Great. <laughs> that makes meeting number 148. <laughs> At what point are you going to spring it on Tom that you want him to open an account? Now, I'm, I'm just saying your name because you asked the question. 
But if you want to open an account, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? It's like, so I, I think people struggle with that and younger folks in the career are doing all this other stuff to be nice to the most uh, people with a lot of options, time, and money, right? So if, if if they're investing in you with everything but their money, then what are you getting out of it if your business is to also, uh, you know, invest their money? So you just, we have to have good sell discipline and we have to be thoughtful about, you know, ultimately the firm is going to say, yeah, that's nice. I'm glad you're happy. I'm glad you like the sofa and the pudding that we have in the refrigerator, is there anything on that screen other than your reflection, right? It always <laughs> comes back to that. And, and folks just have talked themselves into a feel good place that ultimately will not be rewarded. Do you, do you have any hints for hiring salespeople? You know, one of my, one, the, 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 the commandment that I have, or I learned the hard way is uh, when hiring salespeople always hire two because one will suck and then you'll know. <laughs> So I'm that's good curious, advice. I'm curious, you know, are you in, are you in the hiring uh, oh, yeah. of sales, you know, and, and what's, what's your thoughts about hiring folks to be successful? Well, it's damn hard. And you should talk to uh, Doug about this. Uh, he knows better than both of us. I think, um, I, I, I think, you know, my advice is like, don't, you know, um, <laughs> sorry, I'm so indelicate, but don't nibble on a turd. Right. If you got to eat a turd, take big bites and choke it down and be done with it. Right. So if you are a potential salesperson and you're trying to sneak up on that sales opportunity, you're wasting time, you're wasting energy and you're wasting um, you're psyching yourself out. If you have to pick up the phone call and book a meeting, don't be happy that you got a voicemail. If you book a meeting, but they keep rescheduling the meeting, don't be happy that you booked a meeting, get the meeting. And then, you know, what I'm saying it's like, you can, these things can be steps, but if you're not willing to know what it is that's real progress, then you're going to waste everybody's time. Most importantly, you're going to waste your time trying to come up with stuff that doesn't move the needle. So what we try to look for is, you know, the person that'll say, okay, well, they didn't respond to my email. Uh, they, they like handwritten notes. I'll write a handwritten note. Okay, well, they, they prefer lunch to dinner or they prefer breakfast to lunch, right? You're always thinking about, okay, I'm at, I'm, it's a seven-step process. Doug knows actually how many steps it is. But if it's a seven-step process and you keep engaging on step two, and then you get to three and you go back to two and you get back to three and you get back to two. That's not progress. So either you need to figure out how to get step four to seven, or you need to figure out how to stop wasting your time on these first couple of steps. So it's the people that, you know, the word that, you know, could have been much more succinct to express that as a self-starters, creative, um, bold, you know, um, willing to, you know, be make, make themselves look foolish, which really is a big part of it. One of the best lessons I learned was to laugh at myself a lot more in those first couple of years because some of the just painfully awkward phone calls and getting hung up on and getting strung along and, you know, all of this, you know, soul crushing um, stuff that we put ourselves through is, is sort of necessary because it takes however long it takes for you to get over yourself and then realize that, you know, like you did when you're an entrepreneur, if, if someone's going to book a sale, it wasn't going to magically happen. You or your partner had to 
call or meet or do something. Somebody had to go do something and nothing was going to magically drop out of the sky because you're smart, good people. So just try to, you know, find folks that, you know, have (laughs) low (laughs) self-esteem who are really hungry, poor, uh, (laughs) destitute. Scrappy. Scrappy Scrappy is a better word. All those things. (laughs) That's good. That's good. I, uh, you know, it's, I, I liked what you said earlier and it kind of ties in with this, you know, you had some, uh, piece of wisdom for yourself or mantras about don't jive yourself and, or something to that effect. And, uh, you know, I, I think when you were describing, you know, the, the types of people that would succeed in that job, it's people that are focused on the, the goal, the outcome, the finish line and not get hung up on the busyness of it. Yes. You know, and think, thinking that busyness is progress when, you know, you're jiving yourself mm-hmm. if it's not if it's not actually materializing. But um, yeah, and, six, and, and yeah. Doug, on that point, sorry, don't let me throw you off your 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 question or your comment. But think about it is like really, really smart people can jive themselves all the time. And in often cases, they're the best ones at it, because if, if you are and don't take this wrong where we have friends who are consultants and lawyers, right? But you can be the smartest consultant, your smartest lawyer until you're given an assignment. What are you doing? You're waiting for an inbound to do something. This probably describes my, you know, lack of understanding of what the legal and consultancy practice is. But if you're waiting for an inbound to do something, it's hard to be creative about doing something. If all you have is time, like you do when you sit down and look at that screen with no names on it, you better come up with a way to go do something to get names on the screen, not to just go do something. There's no money out of being, being busy. There's money of, out of managing money and having clients. Right. Mm. So it's, I, you know, I tell people, you know, there's a, you know, how's your day going? It, I mean, it's groundhog day every day. It's third grade simple. You know, I get paid to, you know, get six year old white men to entrust me with their life's fortune. Right. And I got to go find out how to get, you know, a new new white man or a new opportunity and I have institutional clients and have other stuff and have women the clients. But you know, if you're not doing that and clear about that, you will easily, easily get yourself bogged down in stuff that's just not productive mm-hmm. or enjoyable, quite frankly. Yeah. What's the attrition rate, would you guess, in your industry between, you know, the hundred people that start on day one and and how many make it past year two? Golly. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's very high. Um, I will, I can tell you sort of anecdotally, sort of my hiring class is 17 years, maybe a long stretch to use, but kind of at the 10, 12 year mark, uh, we probably had 75% attrition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and really it's it, to me, the real big, um, in numbers, um, the big, uh, drop off is sort of that, two to four year range because if you know it at two years either either you've you know you've lit the world on fire and you're you're out of the gates running and people are like oh you know that kid carl he's got moxie or at least he's you know he keeps he keeps slamming his head against stuff and stuff falls down so it's working for him <laughs> so either at so you either you know demonstrate that early or then you're like, wow, you know, uh, it's year three or four, but man, that Carl kid, he keeps, you know, he keeps getting up every time he gets knocked down and he's in front of some good stuff. It just hadn't fallen his way, but you know, he, you know, he's doing the right things. Right. So you want to either 
have early success or have a process that's validated by people that are, you know, basically your bosses. And then, you know, probably in the next three to four year, or years, three and four, um, you know, you got to be around long enough for some good fortune to fall your way. So that's valid. And, and, or you have to be around long enough for people to say, you know, uh, you know, uh, Carl can't find his ass with two hands and a map, but you know, he will work hard. If you point him in the right direction, then you can be valuable to somebody else, right. Who can mm. help steer you. So you don't ideally want to do that. If you came into this job to be a captain of the universe, but, um, there's also, you know, you can make a very nice living helping, you know, Tom be captain of the universe. Good. That's good. Yeah. That, that attrition rate doesn't surprise me. I, I was, yeah. you know, it's, 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 it's a very demanding and difficult um, career trajectory and the fallout rate is, is high. It's and, astronomical. Um, yeah. Yeah. And those things, you know, it's, and, and back to Tom's question about how do you pick the good ones? If, if there were an easy way to pick the good ones, you wouldn't have an 80% attrition rate or 75%, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. It's, it's, it's about as hard as picking which NFL quarterbacks are going to succeed with about as, <laughs> with about the, with about the same investment level, I might say, uh, yeah, on yeah. Behalf. yeah, you're right. And think about this too, Doug is like, you get to, you know, you're going to tell, you know, a bright young uh, Joanna Bressel to say, oh, who's got this MBA and she's smart and blah, blah, blah. You're going to tell her to go pound her head against this wall for two years until some clients come out. And, you know, uh, she does that. And then after two years and no clients came out, you say, well, keep doing it. You're on the, you're on the right track. Right. You know, and, uh, and then in the meantime, she's getting people calling her saying, you know, how does your forehead feel? Right. <laughs> I want you to come over here and, you know, do this because you're really smart and you're all those things. And, and you, you know what I'm saying? So it's, it's a tough comparison to say, you know, you have the opportunity to make X, right. Or, if you don't, you know, you're going to feel like a failure and you'll, you know, you're going to wonder what you did with those two to four years of your life. So I think it's the best job ever. And I'm, you know, sorry that I just came to it late in life for me. Um, but it's, it's tough when, when we all go through that. We're staring into the abyss. We got nothing to show for our efforts. You know, it's, it's hard to bring people back from that. So they, you got to kind of have that scrappiness and that, you know, so, belligerence so, or whatever so, it is to keep going. So besides having the, you know, the money incentive, which is extremely important, especially if you're taking care of a family, right? Mm -hmm. And yourself, what helps, what can you leave us with about getting yourself out of an abyss? And this is, you know, this oh, has been a yeah. challenge. We're all midlife, right? We're all, um, dealing with a lot around the world mm -hmm. it's it's changing every minute every day what helps you what would you impart on us about how to get out of an abyss um well i mean i, I you're 100 percent right and i don't want to glamorize uh anything about you know how hard that is because you know what i haven't openly shared is that you know after i don't know Gosh, I don't know how, let's say I've been at the firm six, eight years, just running hard, you know, never satisfied. There's always somebody, you know, doing better, faster, bigger things than you. And it's kind of the, you know, in some ways to see, you know, the culture, the unsaid, you know, expectation, blah, blah, blah. 
And so I was, you know, I'd signed up for all of it, burn the bridges, you know, burn the ships, burn everything and, you know, stack up million dollar bills, blah, 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 you know, all that ego chest pounding nonsense. And, and quite frankly, um, I know, you know, you know, Tom may know this, but, you know, I had what they euphemistically call uh, as I was walking into the office, got, got up in five and went and worked out because I was going to be, you know, you got to be fit too, also all that. So <laughs> you got to look good so you can go hard. Right. Yeah. And uh, uh, I was walking into the office and I uh, got on the elevator and things went wah, wah, and I had what they euphemistically call a mini stroke on the way to my office. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a colleague of mine was on the elevator as well. Fortunately, I was like, you know, I don't know what's going on with me, but this ain't good. Call 911, blah, blah, blah. So I, yeah, and 911 pulls up the front of the building, drags my, you know, goofy ass off to the hospital. I did have sense enough to go because a lot of male creatures in midlife, you know, just want to rub some dirt on it and go back to the desk. Um, I did not do that, but that was my, that was my wake up call. I mean, literally and figuratively in a lot of ways, it was like, you know what? Um, it, nothing is worth, you know, <laughs> dying at your dying with your boots on. Right. And, and, and more importantly, it's like, okay, I'm doing all these things, you know, yes, I'm having some success air bunnies. Um, but at what cost? So as Jose Williams, who's a great civil rights pioneer down here in Atlanta, used to say, he's folksy like me, John. He would say stuff like something in the milk ain't white, right? <laughs> so you know what you do if you got something in the milk that's not white. You pick it out and that's a problem. You probably don't drink that milk. So um, something in my milk wasn't white. And so I, you know, I said, look, you know, um, I'm not getting up at five o'clock every morning, you know, I will eat better. I will rest. I will prioritize my health. You know, maybe I'll listen to my wife more, um, and still working on that. But, um, uh, I, I just had to, I just had to reshuffle everything and said, you know what, I'm going, you know, I, again, to Doug's point, I'm able to breathe. So if it means, you know, I don't continue to build business as fast as whatever guys sitting right or woman sitting left of me, that's okay. I can survive if I don't make another nickel a year more than what I'm doing. Um, and it, it's, it's given me a different focus. It's, you know, allowed me to reprioritize some things and actually really to um, stop doing things that <laughs> landed me in the back of that wagon headed off to an uncertain couple of days in the hospital. Mm. So just, you know, it's, you know, reprioritize, you know, I, I, you know, put health and relationships and friendships and, um, uh, and time, you know, just really, I mean, it's so trite and sounding, but just, you know, being present and just trying to enjoy what you can enjoy and control what you can control. Well, I'm glad you are here today and that it wasn't worse than that elevator. Um, and that you're a crazy knuckle dragger enjoying <laughs> your snowboarding and hanging and talking with us. Yeah. Um, it means a lot to me to learn more about you. Um, I thought I knew a lot about you, but this was wonderful to learn more. Thank you for sharing. Well, thank you for having me. I know, uh, as Tom was saying earlier, most of this will go in the can or in, what'd you say in the bin? Uh, most of this <laughs> tape, but, um, I mean, I think this is, you know, uh, just another example of how amazing Darden is. You know, it's like, uh, I don't know what happened 
that got us also old, but you know, <laughs> ignoring that, I just love the fact that y'all are doing this and, uh, you know, I, I love Tom, like he was my long lost adopted brother. Uh, and, mm-hmm. Doug, you know, uh, I, I love you the same and it's good to get reconnected with you. And this is all good for me. I don't, I, um, I'm glad you thought to include me. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Carl, for joining us. It was fantastic. Thank you, Carl. Bye, Carl. Thank you all. Talk soon.